Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. But we never put it into practice, right? We never put it into action. We never really use it. And so what we're facing now is it's created a a church culture that can tell you a lot about Scripture. They can communicate some of the rich truths of Scripture. They can explain some of it, but yet they never put a word of it into personal action. Right? Amen. And that is exactly what Christ called his followers to guard against. Right? In fact, it was the very culture that Christ warned his followers to avoid. Notice on your study guide, Christ cautioned about becoming a culture of knowledge rather than a culture of obedience. Christ called his followers, notice on your study guide as we continue to make our way down through it, he called his followers to a culture of doing, not just a culture of knowing. Now, knowing and doing is both sides of the coin of true discipleship. And true discipleship, according to the New Testament, places emphasis on obedience and has an expectation that I apply what I've learned. Right? And it turns and turn my knowledge into action. I remember uh, back in grade school, how many ever had to take those tests? All right? How many ever had a pop quiz in your class? That was a dreaded word, especially in Bible school. But the whole idea of that is to turn our knowledge into action and say, we're going to be presenting you with a test. Now let's see if the knowledge you have accumulated can be worked out. And the issue with many in our present generation is not that they don't know enough. How many know we've got a lot of smart people in our generation, right? The issue with many in our present church culture is not that they don't know enough, but they don't do what they already know. You know, it's like the man who, whose employer said to him one day after he arrived at work, he said, you're fired, go clean out your desk. The man said, why? He said, I didn't do anything. The employer said, that's exactly why you're fired. I can't get you to do anything. Hmm? It's just as much a sin to fail to do what we ought to do than it is to do what we ought not to do. Notice that on your study guide. I I put it there for a reason because you say, Pastor, I need some Tylenol because that sentence just gave me a headache. 
But if you hang in there, read it a couple times, go slow as you need to, you'll grasp it. You're bright. I promise. Right? So let's read it again. It's just as much a sin to fail to do what we ought to do than it is to do what we ought not to do. Right? So in our text, Christ makes it clear that knowledge is good, but knowledge in itself is not the end. Knowledge in itself is not the desired result. Obedience is. And Christ desired his disciples to understand that his ministry was not just there for them to observe it, but rather it was there to teach them how to do what he did, right? So that they could do the same when he was gone. See, Christ said in verse 15 on down in our text, For I have given you an example, that ye should do as I have done to you. Wow, that's pretty straightforward. The example of the life of Christ is simply a blueprint. Everybody say blueprint. It's a blueprint for how we believers should live our Christian lives. Okay, so what I want to look at tonight on your study guide, three observations about knowledge and action that help us become the active believer that God intends us to be. All right, ready to go? Roman numeral one. First, we must realize the lack of knowledge is not God's fault. Now, God has given us the Holy Spirit, and get this, He gave us the Holy Spirit to teach us all things. John 14, 26, the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So, how many notice in that verse that Christ didn't say that the Holy Ghost would teach us some things? No, it's all things. So Christ would inform us that the reason we don't know how or what to do in the Christian life is because we're not yielding or perhaps listening to the Holy Spirit's teaching. Therefore, if we are a believer, it's not God's fault if we don't know what to do at a, at a critical juncture in our lives because God has already given us the means to know what to do. He's called the Holy Spirit. How many know he's the means? He's the resource. Okay, And the need to be filled, the need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit is so he can teach us what to do and when to do it. Amen. Okay, so that's number one. The lack of knowledge is not God's fault. It's ours. Roman numeral two. Secondly, the purpose of knowledge is to propel us to action. God gives us knowledge so that it will motivate us to action. Knowledge without action, guess what? Is wasted knowledge. 
Get that on your worksheet there. Knowledge without action is wasted knowledge. And sadly, there are many believers who have the knowledge to do what they're supposed to do, but they're disobedient and they waste the knowledge that God gave to stir them to action. Somebody say, what a waste. Scripture teaches us that we will actually be held accountable for not using the knowledge that God has given us. Knowledge is not given to us as a possession to show everyone how smart we are. Right? How clever we are. But rather it's given to us to be a tool to use in helping ourselves and our others become what we need to be for God. So the purpose of knowledge is to propel us to action. Thirdly, Roman numeral three. Knowledge is not enough with God. He simply expects action. Now, I want us to go to a passage where our Lord's brother, James, in James 4.17 said, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it's a bad mistake. Is that what it says? That's not what the good old KJV says. No. To him that knoweth to do good, doeth it not to him, it is, there's that three-letter word, sin. So, notice on your study guide, knowledge or action by themselves will never accomplish or do much for God. Because here you go, knowledge by itself without action becomes sin. Action without knowledge becomes wasted energy. Have you ever met somebody that's got a lot of zeal but little knowledge? Well, they're a train wreck. God doesn't need to give us more knowledge, though, if we're not using the knowledge we already have. Is that not true? If we take the knowledge we have and use it, it is then that God will see we need more knowledge. And the purpose of knowledge is to motivate us to action. And when action uses the knowledge that it already has, God will give more action so that there can be more, or God gives more knowledge so that there can be more action. Happiness or being blessed will never be realized in our lives until we not only know what God wants us to do, but do what he wants us to do or has taught us to do. See, you ask and you say, Pastor, what, what happens, though, to an individual that continues to obtain more and more biblical knowledge without ever applying it to their life and actions? Well, that's a good question because it goes to the very heart of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Notice on your study guide, because biblical knowledge without personal application can actually deaden our soul and drive us from God instead of to God. We've got all kinds of illustrations of this through the New Testament. Because the Pharisees, the Sadducees, these folks had, they had knowledge galore, right? 
But they had an issue when it came to personal application. And the Apostle Paul states that knowledge puffs up. But what is it he says in 1 Corinthians 8? He says, love, though, builds up. James says that one who hears the Word of God but does not do the Word of God is simply deceiving himself. And those who have the knowledge but do not practice it are often in danger, according to 2 Peter 2.21, of greater judgment in the end. God's Word was never given to us to be a dead letter. It was given to be a living, active presence in our lives. To know and not do stifles that very life that is supposed to flow to us from the Word. The Word of God then becomes just stated facts and and surface information stored in our memories, disconnected from any life-giving, life-changing power. Because knowledge of God alone and facts about the Bible has never saved a single soul. Right? For example, I, I was reading recently about the Prince of Granada. He was an heir to the Spanish crown. I don't know what he did, but he did something wrong. And so he was sentenced to life in solitary confinement in one of Madrid's ancient prisons called the Place of the Skull. The fearful, dirty, dreary nature of that prison earned it its name, they said. Everyone knew that once you were in there, you never came out alive. The prince, though, they said, was given one book to read the entire time. Guess what that book was? The Bible. With only one book to read, he read it over hundreds and hundreds of times. The Bible, you could say, became his constant companion. After 33 years of imprisonment, he died. When they came in to clean out his cell, they found some notes that he had scratched on the stones of that prison wall. And the notations that he had etched they said was of this sort. Psalm 18.8 is the middle verse of the Bible. Ezra 7.21 contains all the letters of the alphabet except the letter J. The ninth verse of the eighth chapter of the book of Esther is the longest verse in the Bible. No word or name of more than six syllables can be found in the Bible. That's what he had etched. And when Scott Udell originally noted these facts in an article in the magazine Psychology Today, he noted the oddity of an individual, he said, who spent 33 years studying the greatest book of all times, yet could only glean trivia. Hmm? They said, from all they know, 
that prince never made any spiritual commitment to Christ. But he did become an expert on Bible trivia. Somebody say, wow. Because unfortunately, it goes to show how many can become experts at Bible trivia instead of applying the Word of God to their lives. God desires our knowledge to change our actions. Knowledge does not save. The devils know who Jesus is. They've got a clear knowledge. Even Satan quoted the Scriptures to Christ. But true salvation comes from an action called faith and trust that solely relies on Christ who is the fountainhead of all knowledge. Amen. Because, notice this on your study guide, faith is an action word and true faith always leads to true action. True actions. Oh, don't you feel sorry for people who, who study the Scripture but never come to know Christ in the richness of a life that's devoted to Him and live for Him? I do. I feel so sorry for Him. Because that's like one who, who samples the crumbs but never gets to the cake. Man, give me the cake. Huh? <laughs> because the richness of the Christ life comes when we take what little knowledge we have and we practice it. And we call upon the Lord to help us practice it. Now, let me add a word of caution here because there's, there's time to study and learn. Please don't misunderstand me. We see this, uh, for example, in the New Testament in the example of Mary and Martha. Not always should we be busy serving Christ. Sometimes we need to be still and listen to Him. Learn from Him. God sometimes takes a great deal of time to instill His Word in us before we're called into some special service for Him. Therefore, those who devote themselves to the study of, of the Word may be doing so because God has called them to do so. And some pursue formal training, such as Bible college, seminary. I did. Nevertheless, though, the pursuit of an in-depth knowledge of the Word should be producing a change. A change in the heart of that learner. That word that's taken in should always then be fleshed out. We must never divorce Bible study from Bible practice. So biblical faith being a verb rather than a noun requires what? Action, you're right. Biblical faith, being a verb rather than a noun requires action. That action should actually be based on the faith of what we know and believe. For example, if we believe Christ is who he said he is, and that he's present in our day-to-day -day lives, then do we still gossip? Do we continue to spread rumors and false narratives? If we really believe Christ is who he said he is, he's there present in our day-to-day -day life. Are we forgiving of the flaws and the faults of others? 
Do we really turn the other cheek? See, I mean faith as a verb demands active behavior that's consistent with the belief. And the consequence of faith means realizing that according to God's purpose, our role is clear, church. We must act on the word of God as given to us by Christ. We must live rather than merely profess. Right? We must be a church rather than just attend one. Amen. Because the more faith we profess, the more knowledge we gain, and the more active we should become. We then live according to the spirit within us rather than the passions that would corrupt us. God doesn't want us to merely have an intellectual understanding or knowing. It must always be followed by an active, obedient doing. Right? Because many, many, many are good at knowing, but when it comes to the doing part, that's where we fail. And this is who James, the Lord's brother, is seeking to correct through a lot of his, his writing. Sadly, the prophet, let's, let's go back to the Old Testament. How about the prophet Jonah? Everybody say Jonah. I mean, he stands as a clear example of knowing what the right thing to do is, but refusing to do it. Jonah was clearly called by God, go and preach to Nineveh. Nineveh was the wicked, ungodly capital of the Assyrian nation. But instead of going to Nineveh, as God had asked, Jonah sought to run from God, catching a ship headed in the opposite direction. And instead of obeying God by doing what God asked, Jonah purposefully, purposely failed to do what God asked and sin. Now, the right thing to do was to go preach repentance to that sinful nation. Jonah refused. He fled. But how many know he found out you can't run from God? Well, you can run, but I guess you can't hide. And when you do run from God, it's a dead end. And God comes and he disciplines Jonah, placing him in the belly of a large fish until Jonah repented three days later. Then Jonah finally submits to God's will and guess what? Well, when he did what God said, the whole city of Nineveh repented. It started with the ungodly king. These folks were brutal. They were, they were basically the equivalent to ISIS. Huh? But yet, God, oh, can you imagine God's mercy? His sovereignty accomplished his goodwill for the sake of Nineveh, Nineveh in spite of Jonah's sin. It's one thing to sin by doing, but it's another thing to sin by not doing. And when we know the right thing to do and we don't do it, we're accountable for what we fail to do. <clears throat> you know, Christ taught, he practiced, he commanded action. His instructions were sometimes verbal, sometimes example, sometimes symbolical. And one thing he taught was that knowledge without corresponding conduct is vain. And even worse than ignorance. 
It's worse than ignorance. Did you get that? It's like steam which has been generated in the boiler, but yet it's not brought to bear as motive power upon the engine. What a waste. Here we've got all this steam, but it never makes it to the engine to produce movement. It's like a blossom which in itself is beautiful, but fruit should follow the blossom. Right? As in a fruit tree. Knowledge about God can be a dangerous thing. It leads us into a false sense of security, and it can actually keep us from experiencing intimacy with God because Scripture warns us about knowledge-based faith. Knowledge, notice on your study guide, is not valuable until it's transformed into action. And the trouble in the church culture nowadays is we are content to rely on knowledge instead of action. And if we are a follower of Christ and are in church to merely learn more, then we're missing the point. Right? If we believe church exists simply to satisfy our needs, then we need to investigate our heart. It's easy to say, oh, the church should do this or that. But if you're not involved in rowing the boat, we've no right to comment on the direction the boat's going. And the Apostle James says, don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. And the author clarifies his statement by saying, you know, people that hear only is like someone who who looks at himself in the mirror and when he turns away he forgets what he looks like now how many know that's a serious case of forgetfulness huh one of the easiest ways to increase knowledge is simply to do what that knowledge requires doing helps us retain that particular, and, and I was reading how most people, if, if they're a teacher, like if they teach any subject, whether it's computers, mechanics, construction, they will agree that one can never teach everything until the process of doing is engaged. Somebody say hands-on. Because true learning takes place when we turn our knowledge up here into action right here. And so Christ is saying, if we have learned something, he says, put it into practice. Put it into action. So let me, let me finish the balance of our time this evening with saying that as believers, perhaps the greatest sin in our lives is not a sin of commission, but a sin of omission. Most of us think of sin as something that we do wrong, something that, uh, you know, we have, a, we have the list of things that are, are wrong, and we say, okay, uh, we better not do them. Don't lie, don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't, don't watch inappropriate movies, don't drink, don't, don't, don't smoke, or don't date girls who do. Right? You know, we have the dirty dozen list. We have an idea that if we, if we don't do those, we're going to be okay. 
But James 4, 17 introduces us to the sin of failing to do what we ought to do. See, there are all kinds of sins. There are moral sins of the flesh. There's temperamental sins of disposition. There's ethical sins of conduct. There's spiritual sins of pride, social sins of prejudice and bigotry. But perhaps the greatest sin, the sin of all sin, believe it or not, is none of those, but it's the sin of omission. Very frankly, all of these other sins come about because of this sin of omission. Because the sin of omission is failing to do what we ought to do. Now, let me, let me try to explain this. Spiritually, none of us can do two things at one time. Spiritually. So any one of us who is doing what we ought to do cannot do what we ought not to do. And so all of these other sins of things that we ought not to do happen because we're not doing what we ought to do. Boy, I give you another headache. See, one writer made a good point. He said this, and I quote, The man who doesn't believe in God is a fool. According to Psalm chapter 14, verse 1, says the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. But he said there is a bigger fool than the man who doesn't believe in God. And the bigger fool is the man who does believe in God, but then doesn't live like it. He's the bigger fool than the man who doesn't believe in God at all. The man who says there is a God and then completely lives, or leaves rather, God out of his life, that's what this man on down in the book of James has actually done. He's a man, if you read, he, he oh yeah, he said, I believe in God. But then he goes on and he shows us that he's living like God does not even exist. Because James says he plans and he says, tomorrow I'm going to go here and do this and that. And he never says once, if God wills. See? Does this make sense? So he's a man who's living as if God does not exist. And so if you'd ask him, are you doing anything wrong? He'd say, no, not me. I'm not doing anything wrong. But yet he's condemned for what he failed to do. It is the sin of omission. And Jesus one day, remember that, he's walking along when he was hungry and he saw a fig tree. It must have been lunchtime. And he was, um, according to the text, it was time. It was actually season, from what I understand, for there to be figs. But there were no figs. Okay. And, and, and it was barren. And so Jesus, what did he do? Yeah, he cursed the fig tree. Now, that doesn't mean he used bad language against it. No, that means he put a curse on that fig tree. And the only thing that I know of that Jesus ever put a curse on was that barren fig tree. Why? Why did Jesus curse it? Because it was bearing poison fruit? No. It was bearing no fruit. How many remember the parable of the talents? Where the landowner, 
He goes away. He gives to his servants various talents, various amounts of talent. And some of the servants they take and they invest the talents that they received and, and, and uh, bring revenue in for their master. But then you get down to this one who received one talent. And what's he do? Buries it in the ground. And when the master returns, he, he calls him to account. And what's he calling him? He says, why? You wicked and slothful servant. Now, had that servant wasted the talent? No. Had he squandered it? No. Had he stolen it? No. He simply did nothing with it. Somebody say, oh, me or amen. And for that reason, his Lord condemned him. That was the sin of omission. Another place, Christ gave a parable about the Good Samaritan, and I'm going to wrap it up here. I tell you that's for your good. You remember the story of the man who was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he fell among thieves? Christ told that story of how the priest and the Levite passed right by him. Now, did the priest or the Levite, did they rob him? No, he was already robbed. And I don't believe they would have robbed him even if he wasn't already robbed. I'm not sure about that, but hopefully not. Uh, how about this? Did they beat him up more? No. They just simply minded their own business and walked on by. Now, all of these things illustrate the sin of omission. Boy, isn't it a deceiving sin? It is such a deceiving sin. Because most people have an idea that if they don't do certain things... They're a good Christian. You know, and I was thinking, if that was true, that little Dutch hound dog we used to have would have been the best Christian ever. <laughs> he didn't steal, he didn't drink or smoke, he just laid around and looked cute. <laughs> right? God wants believers who do more than lay around and look cute. Amen. Amen. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Years back, there was a gospel track, kind of like the ones we have back in the narthex in the track rack. On one side of that gospel track, it said this, What must I do to be saved? On the underneath of that, it said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. On the other side, the back side of the tract, it said, what must I do to be lost? And underneath that was nothing. Just blank nothingness. Because that's exactly right. What must a person do to be lost? Do you have to burn down a church? Do you have to blaspheme God? Do you have to tear up the Bible? Do you have to commit some heinous sin? No. Scripture says, He that believeth on him, on Jesus that is, is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's the destructiveness of this sin of omission. It's the reason folks are lost in our culture. It's the reason that so many have minds that are messed up right now with stinking thinking. It's because of this sin of omission.
Just Jones, I'm done. I'm finished. But I want you to imagine yourself as we close. Imagine yourself in a room right now, okay? You're in a room and it's filled with darkness. And you want to get the darkness out. And you want light. You want to let the light in. So how are you going to get the darkness out of the room? Can you talk out the darkness, Brother Tim? Huh? You think if we got enough Pentecostals together and rebuke it, it would go? I, I rebuke the devil. I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't. Can you take a broomstick and beat the darkness out? Can you take a shovel and shovel the darkness out? You're saying, of course not, Pastor. Please, Pastor, tell me you're not that S-T-U-P-I-D. How are you going to get the darkness out? You say, it's simple, Pastor. There's a light switch over there. Oh, just turn the light switch on. And when the light comes, the darkness goes. Hello? How many know darkness can't stay when the lights are turned on? You cannot walk into any room and turn on the dark as long as there's light in there. Hmm? But you can walk into any room and turn on the light while the dark is in there and the darkness flees. Some folks are having difficulties living the way they know they should. They say, you know, Pastor, one of these days I'm going to get my life together and I'll become a Christian. That reminds me of this man in this room who says, as soon as I get the darkness out of the room, I'll let the light in. Listen, no. You'll never get the darkness out until you bring Jesus in. And the Bible says, be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And the great sin in our lives is not the sin of commission. It's not the darkness. It's the failure to let the light in. One of the greatest teachers who ever lived, still alive, is Jesus. Thank God. How many know he's still alive? And he called a group of men and encouraged them to follow him. And in the process, their minds were open to the learning far beyond their limited experience. And eventually their experience outgrows their knowledge. When the time was right, he sends them out to do, to put into practice what they had learned. And these simple handful of men, a lot of them fishermen by trade, literally, the book of Acts says, turned the world upside down for the gospel's sake. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying therein lies the power of turning knowledge into action. That's what the disciples did. They took that three years of education from Christ and they put it to use. And thank God, Broadway Assembly stands on the corner of 254 and Cooper Foster Park Road or Broadway, whatever it is, because they did it. Hello. And somewhere down through the years, you heard the message. Somebody ought to shout amen. Because they had the knowledge. 
didn't leave it there. They obeyed. Just stand together. Take your hymn book and turn to page 195. I, I thought this would be appropriate to close. Page 195, it's, it's, a, it's a hymn. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you probably have heard it. The, the writer says, when we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. But notice it doesn't stop there. While we do His good will, He abides with us still and with all. Somebody say, all means me. And with all who trust and obey. There it is. Put your knowledge into action then in fellowship sweet last verse we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way and what he says we will do and when he says sins we will go never fear only trust Turn your knowledge into action. Sing it now. Oh, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust Him. Oh, not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. And not a doubt nor a fear, and not a sigh nor a tear can abide while we trust. Oh, thank you, Lord. I'm going to trust and obey, for there's no other to be happy in Jesus, to trust Him. One more time, the altars are open. If you got to go, God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. These altars are open. If you'd like to come and say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to endeavor to turn some knowledge into action here. And I need your help to do it. These altars are open. God bless you. Oh, for there's no other way. We at Broadway want to say thank you for joining us in worship today via online. We want to invite you to like our Facebook page as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel. And please, if you don't mind, share us across your social media platforms. Let me just say a quick prayer of blessing today as we just conclude our time together in this video. Jesus, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for this avenue of worship that we have to utilize our online tools and furthering your gospel, furthering your kingdom. I pray that you would bless those who have tuned in today. Keep your hand on them. Minister to their hearts. Minister to their minds. And God, just do a work in their lives. We love you, Jesus, and we praise your holy name. Amen.